Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. All right, y'all, we have um, some fantastic sections that we're looking at today. Um, 50, oh, hopefully, ho- hopefully you liked the field trip last time we were in that rainy spot in Ohio. I remember, remember, it just, oh, <laughs> it was so fun. It rained so hard. And, and then, then right I, when we were done, it stopped raining. Yes, so. and then I rewatched it again, and I forgot how much you just love all those people being planted mm-hmm. in their places. And we talked so much about Kirtland, and now we get to talk a little bit about Missouri. Yeah. So you remember back in section 52, um, the Lord was asking, or Joseph and the saints were asking, where is this Zion place? The Book of Mormon talks about it. It's come up in some previous revelations. And the Lord said, well, why don't you go to Missouri and I'll tell you. (laughs) And so they do and they get there and their questions are, where is it and when and how is it going to be built up? Well, in that earlier section, we found out once they got to Missouri, the Lord said, it's actually here in Independence. And the temple lot will be built right there by the courthouse. That is um, the where it is going to be built up. Today, the revelations that came are more about when and how is this Zion city, which is maybe what a lot of people were thinking about. But it seems as you read the sections here that the Lord's more talking about Zion a people. Yes, because you love that on one hand, he is going to lay out the particulars of the city and what it's going to look a like. A real life city. Yep. Yeah. And and the temples that will be there and kind of all of those things. And we are going to get into more detail in that a little bit later. But here it's almost as if he wants to lay out the expectations and the requirements for those who live in Zion. So it's almost creating a Zion people is what this chapter wants to do. While at the same time, he is laying out the foundation for Zion, the place. Yeah, while they're there, they actually do like bring a big log and they lay that log down as the first like kind of cornerstone because they didn't have a stone, right? And they'll lay the cornerstones of the temple, right? And you'll see that in a video when we take you to that spot. Um, And we love that spot. You can't wait to go there with us. Yeah, mostly because it just, it, it, it makes you think about the beauty of that place is a beauty of potential. It's empty right now. The field is empty. And you think one day this will be filled with beautiful temples in a beautiful city, right? But the same kind of thing existed with the people. Like sometimes we look around and we look at our faith community and we look at the world and we say, we are so opposite of what um, Zion can be. You know? like Particularly right now. You feel that contention and division and unrest. And then we're trying to go for of one heart and of one mind. And really there's sometimes I just sit down and think, how are we going to do that? Yeah. And Ezra Booth, you know, is one of the missionaries that comes out. Remember the Lord sends all these missionaries out to Missouri and we'll talk more about them in next lesson and kind of what happens there. But I mean, he comes out and he's just like, no way. There's no way that this can happen. <laughs> and Edward Partridge, the great bishop, he will even say that too when he gets out there. He's like, I, I don't know how this is even going to be possible. And they may have been talking physically about the place, but we really do ask the question spiritually. Mm-hmm. Like, how how do we create 
that ideal, that that Zion ideal that we read about in the book of Moses. Particularly right? when it feels so impossible. And I sometimes wonder if Heavenly Father sits in heaven and thinks, oh, these are my favorite moments. These moments when what all you see is impossibility in this situation are really the moments when he shines. It's those moments when he's when he shows us he can be greater and he can be bigger and and he knows what to do in places where we just can't imagine that would work out. And for these people, that was the cause of Zion, right? Zion the place and Zion the people. It just felt like that was never going to happen and they were in a situation of so much contention and division and and unsettledness and they didn't even have somewhere to gather and there's going to be two cities going on at one time and it it probably just felt so overwhelming at the time yeah and then i love that the lord's like okay everybody stop for a minute and let me just let me just help lay things out for you in a way that might make sense this is for zion the people this is for zion the place and what could we learn here and i love that we're going to see the particulars of zion and what it looks like to live there but we're also going to see the particulars of a god who can overcome the impossible in people's lives whatever that looks like for you right now whatever that mountain is or that that thing that just feels so impossible we're gonna watch him teach us how to overcome those things in our life and and be able to move forward and particularly as we create this zion community this zion people who we're all going to help each other lift each other through the hard things. And I love that that is what this chapter is going to be about. So we are there in Missouri. That's where they are. Oh, there's this line. It's in your journal where Joseph says, um, when will she be built up in glory? He says, I see it and it will be so right. It was his like, this is going to happen. I've seen that it Mm -hmm. can happen. And, and um, you start to meet people who are just as committed to that cause of Zion people, that one heart, one mind, consecrated, loving, um, all right relationship, no poor, you know, and one of those families is the Knights. You know, we went to their house back, um, when we were in New York and that family, when they got to Ohio, remember they were supposed to live on Lehman Copley's land who was used to be the shaker. But when he went back to shakerism, (laughs) um, he kicked everybody off their land and they're like, now what do we do? And the Lord said to the Knight family, move to and the colesville branch that whole branch move to missouri you are going to move all the way there and so and you love that it's father knight remember who loved so well and who was so passionate about the cause of the church and the gospel of jesus christ and the cause of zion you love that he's going to be the champion and polly will be the matriarch of that cause so mama polly um, goes with the family um, to Missouri and she gets really sick and uh, along the way and she just hopes and says the whole journey I just my greatest desire is to set my feet upon the land of Zion and the day after they get there she will pass away and they'll have a, a funeral and it's right in in between 58 and 59 is when that funeral happens when that family gets there and it is this empty land that's kind of full of just the riffraff of society, you know, living in independence right on the border of the United States. And what they have in front of them is this vision. I'll, I see it. We, this place can become Zion. And, and 
wow, how awesome to have that vision about your your life and your family and your faith community to say like, okay, it can happen. Mm -hmm. And here's the blueprint for how it can come about. And I love this thought because if you are someone who looks at your situation, your family, your circumstance, and you think you see the riffraff and everything that is not right about it and all of the things that are not built up in it and the things that are not beautiful about it, and you think, what could God do with this? Like really, what could he do with this? And I love that where he teaches that lesson is actually in Missouri, where let's talk about what Missouri looked like at that time. Who lived there? Who was there? You mentioned it was right on the border of yeah. the United States, which means what kind of people were Just you all the at? criminals, all like backwoods. When people talked about it, they said they are 10, 20 years behind their times there. If a federal marshal came looking for someone, you could just hop the border of the United States and then they couldn't get you. And so that's the kind of folks that actually live in the Missouri area. And so it really is. Just... And it's going to make this lesson so much more fun in just a minute when you keep that in mind. Because yes, yeah, because yeah. if you want to think about an impossible situation, if you want to think about what it looks like on the margins, if you want to look at um, situations where you wonder if God can do anything there, chapter 58 is that section where he's like, watch, watch me do my great work. And let me tell you actually what it's going to look like. So we start out with an ideal. And I love that you talked about um, Father Knight saw the cause of Zion. Obviously, Polly Knight saw, saw what could be the fulfillment of Zion. And Joseph, when you talked about at the top where I see it and it shall be so. And I love that when you, when you see people who are like, I know what this is, this is going to be so good. This is going to be so good. And you look at them and you think, okay, I trust you. So I trust that this is one day going to be good. And I love the thought of that, which takes us clear back to Exodus, which is where we're going to start because it's Moses who first sees the vision of what we can become. He sees the potential of that and he kind of lays it out there. And, and all of this is going to build on that, what begins in the book of Exodus. Section 19. Yeah. So, I actually have it right here. Oh, good. Because we put that in there because of how much it reminds us of here are these people that God set free from slavery. And now he is kind of calling together this, this family of Israel. And he's calling them together for a certain purpose. Kind of like he's doing in the latter days with these people in Ohio and Missouri and still us today. Where he's just like, I, I want to create mm -hmm. a people but they have a very specific cause and, and purpose, purpose mm. right? And you love he does it in the Old Testament. We're going to actually watch him. He hints of it in the New Testament, and we're going to go there. And then it's going to happen in section 58. And I love when that happens. I love when you see the restored church mirroring the New Testament church and uh, the very beginning of the Old Testament when it all comes full circle. He says in 19 verses 5 and 6, Now therefore... If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And we love the thought of this peculiar treasure, of this kingdom that he is creating, right? This Zion. And it's going to be filled with Father knights and poly knights, right? These priests and priestesses, these 
patriarch and matriarchs that see the vision of what could be and that their dying wish is just to arrive in that place. And I love that that's kind of where we start. Yeah, and and one of the hazards of a covenant people is they begin to look at some of those things where he says, I want a peculiar treasure, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And it, it one of the hazards is this idea of exclusivity, mm-hmm. right? That, okay, we are going to become the good people and the ones that God likes or whatever in the world. And that is a hazard. It always has been a hazard. You see it in the New Testament. It's a hazard with the Pharisees <laughs> and Sadducees, right? That Jesus speaks so boldly against that. And it's good to step back a second and remember like, wait, why are you calling together the house of Israel? What is your purpose? In that line, I want a holy nation. Remember, holy means set apart for a cause or purpose. And he says, a kingdom of priests and priestesses. Priests and priestesses represent God to people. That's just like the role they play. What he's doing is he's calling together a people who can represent him to the rest of the world. Mm who can be a image bearer for God to the rest of the world, to bless all nations. He's like, that's why I'm teaching you. That's why I'm refining you so that you can be an instrument to bless the whole world. And you love that he's like, and you know where we should start? In Missouri, right? In the margins. That This is where yeah. we should begin. And you well, love so. that that's where he loves to go. He goes to the people in the margins and in the hedges and, and the people... Remember, he went into the leper colonies. He ate lunch with the sinners. His gospel is for everyone. And our role as a holy people is to take it to everyone. And I love that that's what he's setting out in Missouri. Well said. He starts out in 58, and we love this, right at the beginning. And he says this. I'm going to be in verse 2. You want to read 2, 3, and 4 is where we're reading. And he's going to give this almost a call and caution. He says, Verily I say unto you, Blessed is he that keepeth my commandments, whether in life or in death, and he that is faithful in tribulation. The reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. So first of all, I love, he's letting us know that within the kingdom of heaven, there are rewards. Everyone is going to experience the reward, but there is a greater reward you can attain to. And he's going to kind of lay out what that is. And what it requires of you is to keep the commandments and be faithful in tribulation. And that's where blessing or privilege will come to you. Now, I particularly like this here as he starts out because what's going to happen in Missouri and in Kirtland for this next season is so much tribulation. And I love that he acknowledges it. He's like, let's just... Talk about the elephant in the room because the next few years are going to be really hard. You should know that I know that. You should know that I see that. I'm going to acknowledge to you right now what you're going to need to do is be faithful in tribulation. And and not only like enemies, you know, the enemy attacking, but even from within, within where, he, mm. where he's going to say like, wait, to bring about Zion is going to cause tribulation. It is going to be hard work to to reconcile and to bring peace and to bring different people together. That's, it's going to be tough. But then I love too that he's like, let me just, he's going to be a realist, right? Let me tell you what's about to happen. But then in three, I love when he's like, listen, you cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time, 
the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter and the glory which is going to follow all this tribulation. I love that he's like, it, it's going to be so good. Mm. It's going to be so good. For after much tribulation come the blessings. Wherefore the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. The hour is not yet, but it's nigh at hand. And then verse 5. I just, I love verse 5 so much. He says, remember this which I tell you before, that you may lay it in your heart. Remember that there's going to be tribulation. Remember the commandments, but also remember that there is so much good ahead of you. Put that in your heart, he says, um, and receive that which is to follow. And that which is to follow is going to be these expectations and requirements for those who live in Zion. So I love that he's like, let me tell you that I know where you are. I know what's about to happen and I know the good things that are to come. You lay that in your heart because now I'm going to set for you an expectation of what is going to happen. So right here in the journal, you're going to put, lay this in your heart, what you just read. And then the next instruction in verse seven is, okay, now start laying the foundation of Zion, which is really neat that he says like, he actually hints a couple times in here. It's like, it's not going to happen in y'all's lifetime. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so... This is going to be the work of your lifetime and the work foundation. of your children's yes. lifetime yeah. and the work of your children's children's lifetime. You are going to lay this foundation. And then I love that he tells us what the end is going to look like, um, but also how we're going to get there. And before he even sets the expectation, we go to this really awesome right. place, which it's, is this table. Yeah, we, yeah, the table on here. We both adore this story. The Lord is calling back one of his parables that he gave in the New Testament. And it's almost like he is saying, remember, if you're going to be a kingdom of priests and priestesses, if you're going to represent me to the world, let me remind you what I'm like before before I send you off to that, before I refine you to do that. And he reminds them of this parable starting in verse 8. Yeah, his story. Oh, good. I was going to say, yeah. are you going to point out the stuff we want to be looking for? Because yeah. that would be so helpful. So this is what he says in, in 8 through 11. That's where he's going to like almost assume that you know the parable. And we'll take you there in a second where he says, Also, the feast of fat things might be prepared for the poor. Who loves the feast of fat things, first of all? Because whenever I read that, I'm like, okay, this is what I picture on the table, all the things you're never supposed to eat, right? It's the Lay's potato chips, which I love with clam dip. It's those fat boys, you know the fat yeah. boys? They're going to be know on that boys. table. Come on. I'm, I'm just thinking of all these things that I'm like, oh, I just can't wait for that feast. I know, remember? Because Emily has so many like allergies and stuff that to food so that she can eat only three items. And <laughs> so We were at a restaurant the other day and she said, I have a list of things I'm going to eat once I turn 80. <laughs> Rex me. And it's the feast of the fat yeah, things. That's, what you that's want. what's on my list. I'm like, I can't wait for this supper. So it's neat. He's pointing out that wedding supper idea. I was like, remember the end of this whole, the end game, the end picture is a wedding feast. It's a celebration with, with the best wine, right? The wine on the lees, well refined, the really good grapes, right? And fat boys. Uh, yeah, Everyone, and the fat boys. The for that. Yeah. <laughs> fat things. Why does someone name the company that? Um, and that the earth may know that the mouths of the prophets shall not fail. Everything that the prophets prophesied, it was going to be, it is going to be. And he says, the supper of the house of the Lord, well prepared. And to which, he says, all nations shall be invited. I love that. The invitation, like how many wedding invitations should you print? Um, all of them. Yeah. Right? Because everybody 
get there's no one's going to be excluded and, from the invitation. And can you see him pushing against that hazard of covenant people? Yes. You might accidentally think you're the only ones invited. <laughs> but he says, "I'm preparing you not to be invited. I'm preparing you to go get everybody else." And he says, "First the rich and the learned and the wise and the noble, and after that cometh the day of my power and the poor and the lame and the blind and the deaf. Come in unto the marriage of the of the Lamb, and partake of the supper of the Lord, prepared for the great day to come. And you might, when you read it, you're like, well, wait a minute, why is he inviting the rich and the wise and the noble first? And, and then after that, almost as if it's like an afterthought, and if you don't understand the parable in Luke, you actually miss the message that is being taught here. Um, the footnote for in 11c is what is gonna lead us to that parable. So if you just go down in your footnote from verse 11, it's gonna lead you to Luke 14 and it's gonna be 16 through 24. And we actually wanna take you there because you love knowing this thing that he's hinting at before he sets up the expectation. If we don't understand this lesson, we won't understand the expectation. This is one of our favorite lessons in all of the New Testament. So there's gonna be this dinner that's going to happen. And the Lord is going to invite all of these people to come. And the wedding supper would symbolize just the fullness of all of God's goodness, grace, and blessings. Like that is what that table represents, right? That's what those, the feast of the fat things is all promises, all blessings, all powers, all privileges. Don't let me forget. We want to come back to that after at the end. Just oh, okay. those two words. So we start out and in verse 16, it says a certain man made a great supper and he bade many to come and his servant at supper time, he said to them, okay, everything's ready now. Go out and tell everybody to come. And what must have happened in those days is they sent out the invitation or their intent to gather people for dinner. But then it wasn't until the supper was ready and then you sent the servant and he said, okay, go tell them they can come. So he goes to the people who have been invited and it tells us in verse 18, they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said, I bought this piece of ground and I've got to now work this ground. The second one said, I bought these five yoke of oxen and I have to train the oxen. The other one said, I got, I married a wife. I can't come. What's interesting about these things is it's just the business of everyday life. That's what you want to realize is when he went to the rich, what it said in, um, 58, the rich and the, the wise, the noble. wise and all yeah. these things. Well, those people were so busy with the business of everyday life. They were like, I actually can't come right now, which always makes me so nervous because I know what it is to be in the busyness of everyday life. And I just, I always think to myself, don't get so caught up in this, that if the Lord calls, you can't say, oh, I can, I can come. Let me just put a hold on all of these things and well and, and it, i can come and it's also kind of like hints to this idea too where you know there are some wedding invitations that you get and you put on your calendar right away because you're like i absolutely am not going to miss that wedding yes you know what i mean yes i do like if my mom throws a wedding you want to come yeah like in fact we just got so an invitation good. and grace is supposed to be going out of town and she was like i'm gonna have to go a day later right because i cannot miss because it's gonna, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be, be such a good one. A lot of dollars are gonna be spent on it, or it's gonna be a lot of fun, or, yeah, or whatever. Or someone who's really creative, you know. Yeah. It's just one or it's like, someone that you adore. Yes. So much. Yeah. Right. So any of those things are gonna make you want to go. Mm. But sometimes you get invitations in the mail where you're just like, eh, 
If we make it, we make it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so almost like... And you maybe don't know that person as well. Right, right. Or you're like, it's not that they're not going to do as nice of a job, but it's just you don't feel the same attachment to have to be there. And it's almost like that's what is missing here is that attachment. That adoration or anticipation for what it's going to be or attachment. (gasps) Three A's. Um, (laughs) And it just, yeah. And it's not there. Yeah, and they're all like, I can't go. And so the servant comes back. And I always love to imagine this. Those of you who are like in charge of the keeping of the house, you know when you get ready for a party and you lay it all out. This is my favorite time for a party. It might be yours too because you love throwing parties. Mm -hmm. But I love that moment when you've like vacuumed everything. You've set the table. Everything's in the oven. It's going to be totally ready. This is not one of those events when you're like... To the last minute you can't breathe, but you just had that 15 minutes right before someone knocks on the door and you know you just kind of look over the whole house and you know who's coming and you're so excited. And I, that's what I imagine. I imagine the master of the house, the man who planned the supper and he's just looking out and he's like, the water goblets are all filled. Everything's been set out, the table's ready, the lights are perfect. He's just waiting for the knock on the door and who comes in? The servant. And he's like, ah, Nobody's sorry, coming. no one's coming. <laughs> Can you imagine that moment? And, and then oh, it listen, does say. I, I really just did that. Okay, this week mm-hmm. we um, rented a churro truck <laughs> to come to our street because yes. Jenny and I felt like we don't know like all the people on our street as well. And so Jane like hand drew all oh, these invitations so to all the neighbors and everything, right? And the churro truck came and we paid for all the churros to come for our street and stuff. And the time came for the party and nobody came. And I seriously was like, oh my gosh. Like, and then my friend who came first, you know, um, she said, well, looks like you have no friends. <laughs> you know, is what she said. Anyways, people eventually came. And it, but for a minute, I thought, so sad. I put a lot of time and money into trying to create a celebration here and it was really really like sad like yes. I didn't want to stand by myself on my driveway and you, you know? just imagine that little bit of disappointment just for a second like, that disappointment oh no. and it actually does say in here the master of the house being angry said to the servant and I just I love thinking about that for a minute just that I probably would replace the word angry with disappointment but or like that frustrated or like I just yeah, did but anger all always this. is a secondary emotion, yeah. right? Disappointment first, or yeah. fear first, and then and anger. And then he right? says to the servant, "Okay, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, and the halt and the blind." Now, I want you to think for a minute about this before we even go to the next group, because you might be thinking, well, "Why didn't why didn't he go to those people first?" Um, why did he go to the other people first? And I think it is so interested that, and you love to teach this, what he was serving at that supper was something the second group was desperate for. And the first group just had no place for in their life, which is so sad because who's the saddest of the group is the first group, actually. So I love that he's like, you run out and you go and you get the poor and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And every time I read this, I have written in my scriptures, how did the servant get them there? Do you ever wonder about that? Like um, my cute friend who um, died, who was blind, you couldn't just be like, come to dinner. 
um, I would go to her house and walk her over or her husband would walk her over. But you, you realize there is some caretaking if you're going to bring in the halt and the main and the blind and the poor. And I imagine all these people coming and being seated at the table and the care with which they were seated at the table and received into that, that situation that was so beautiful and mm-hmm. so thought filled. And then the servant says, Lord, it is done as you commanded and there is still room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come that my house may be filled. Now there's a couple things you want to think about there. First of all, you love the highways and the hedges and you particularly love it being taught in section 15. Yeah, yeah. Because they have gone to the hedges of the United States. They are in the margin. They are with the highway robbers and bandits, right? And I love that the Lord says to them, it's not going to work to just extend them an invitation because they're, they won't think they're welcome. You compel them to come. You tell them there is room for them here. And then you love this. If you ever wonder what judgment day is going to be like, you just remember this one line. I want my house to be filled. He said, don't you love that? That is the character of the master. I want my house to be filled. I'm not going to single out people. I want my house to be filled. You compel them to come here and, um, and he does. And, and and make a way so that they can, right? There are certain things you need to do so that poor pe- I mean, blind people feel comfortable. And there's certain things you need to do for deaf people to feel comfortable. And there's certain things you need to do for, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, whatever you have to do to yes. make it so that they can come and enjoy this, That's do what it. you've got to do. Right. And we love, we call this a story of radical generosity. That's what this is a story about and that is who our god is he is a god of radical generosity and i love that before he says that now let me set up the expectation of a zion people i love that he first says will you please remember this story before i tell you the expectation of what zion looks like that's got to be the foundation that story has to be the foundation and then he's like okay now We've talked about Zion the place. Now let's talk about Zion the people. And you'll find a lot of verses in here that kind of, um, that is different stuff than we found. But we made this list of almost like, hey, let me teach you how to be me, right? Let me teach you how to act, how, how to live with radical generosity, how to create set the table for the Mm -hmm. supper you know Mm -hmm. this is how to invite people how how to compel people to come this is what it looks like so we just have this list that we're going to go through of of what that might look like and you might find more things as you're reading through and and make your list but you want to make it in the spirit of radical generosity because that's the foundation he laid not because that's what we think you should do but that's what he's saying okay let me, let me show you an object lesson. Let me show you what it looks like. Now, when you read this expectation, see how that would have helped you be a better servant mm. in Luke 14. And do you know what? I think maybe let's just go back to Exodus 19 for one second because I think this could help as like a opening kind of principle is before he tells him, um, 
if you obey my covenant, my voice, and keep my covenant, I'll turn you into these people. He first says to them in verse 4, you saw what I did for you in Egypt and how I bear you on eagle's wings and I brought you out unto myself. Hmm. The very first thing he reminds these people is I've already been radically generous to you. I saved you. You're justified by faith. You're forgiven. You've been set free. And once a person knows that about themselves, it, it readies their heart to be able to, once they know how radically generous God's been to them, it then turns them into a kind of person who would go up. Once someone knows, wait, I'm the poor, I'm the mm-hmm. maimed, I'm the broken, and God invited me. It makes it easy to like start inviting, yes, you know, anybody, any and everybody because yeah. you're like, I didn't belong at this wedding. So like I, I that doesn't get in the way of who should be let in and who it's like once you realize you got about, let in. I love that thought about saying who's missing at the table. Yeah. Now, now that yeah. you're in, now that you got let in, I love that he's like, look around and is there still room? Who's missing at the table? And maybe as you're listening to this, you're like, I, I know, I know who it is. And as we look at this expectation of a Zion people. What's the lesson here that would make that invitation more radically generous? What, which one of these expectations would allow you to be generous like he is? Which I think is going to be so fun to just watch and see. And maybe we just, I think it'd be awesome if you went through and listed, these are the things that we pulled out, even though you might pull out something different. Okay. In 26 through 29, section 58, 26 through 29, we pulled out that phrase to be anxiously engaged in a good cause. Uh, remembering what God's cause is when you read that, right? What is the cause? And the cause was the parable that he told. He's like, that's my cause. Mm-hmm. To invite people, to encourage people, to lift up people, to breathe hope. That's my cause. So in any way that you can, be anxiously engaged in that type of good, right? Next one, 58, 42 to 43. This is a really well-known section of verses. It says, he's repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. Um, if a man repents of his sins, behold, he will confess them and forsake them. And one of the things that we wrote down on our paper here is an attribute of a Zion community is an, is a people who just, who say sorry, who say, I, I made a mistake and I am sorry about that. I should have done that differently. I should have said those words differently and we just feel like that's a really really important part of living in any faith community yeah because it is hard it is it is hard and it's hard not to offend in the culture we live in right now it just is you just never know if you're going to say things right or do things right or or how to engage in someone's story and i love that he's like you know what just confess and forsake uh that you that you've done it wrong yeah that's once all you learn you, need you did to do. it wrong yeah yeah is um is say that and and maybe would society be better if we were better at saying yeah i think i might have been wrong there so would you help me know how i could do better at that next time i think it's so interesting too we were talking with a friend recently and they talked about how much they love the doctrine and covenants for this reason and i've never thought of this before and now it made me love the doctrine and covenants like in a whole new way but they said, do you notice how the leaders of the church in the Doctrine and Covenants, like their faults were pointed out, just they were blatantly pointed out 
in the Doctrine and Covenants <laughs> recorded for all of history. Like when Joseph lost the 116 pages, it, it wasn't like God was like, let's not tell anyone about that. <laughs> that yeah. was a it, big mistake. It, and it was the first recorded section. It's yeah. the first written down revelation is the one Yes, and, he, and you loved mistake. it. God was like, listen, we need to tell people that you did this wrong and let people watch how you recovered from this mistake. From the beginning, it was like the Lord was like, I'm not going to hide the faults of the people who are building this kingdom. Um, in case you think that's just a restored church situation, you want to remember Paul and Moses and Peter like you start listing anyone God's ever worked with and and he's pretty happy to point out their failures in history that is recorded forever. And I love that it's almost as if he's saying, you're going to make mistakes. Like people are going to make mistakes. It's the throwing stones per, uh, story, Prin yeah, principle. Yeah. that Like everybody could throw a stone at someone. That's true. That really could happen. And that's what God has to work with, right? So I love that he's like, everyone, you're just going to have to confess and forsake when you've made a mistake. That's what. That's the only way we are going to build Zion is for people to be like, yeah, I make mistakes. Yeah. And so when you make a mistake, I'm going to be more generous with you because I, I do that too. We love when Edward Partridge just talks about this building of Zion that it feels so huge to them and like they're not even capable of doing it. And he writes home to his wife and says, you know I stand in an important station, he confided to Lydia. And as I am occasionally chastened, I sometimes fear my station is above what I can perform to the acceptance of my heavenly father. Which I love that he's like, this is a big work. And I don't even know if I'm up to this work and I get chastened regularly. And I love that he's okay with being chastened. That he's like, and we all will. Like, mm -hmm. this is such a big work. And this is so much bigger than any of us are. We're going to actually make mistakes. And then he says this to her. I hope you and I may conduct ourselves as at last to land our souls in the heaven of eternal rest. Pray that I may not fall. And I love that thought about just, I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm going to be chastised. But just, I don't want to fall from from the hope of what God laid out. I see how good it could be. And I just, I got to keep my eye on that goal. And then I love this. It says, Lydia did pray and she packed up their five daughters. Who takes their five daughters to the edge of the United States? <laughs> their five daughters and made the difficult trek to Missouri to join Edward as commanded. And then I love this line, though faltering occasionally, Edward and Lydia Partridge gave their all to Zion. And I just, I love that because I'm like, oh, I falter occasionally too. Like every day, several times a day. That moment where you're like, I oh, could have done have that better that. Yeah. than I just did. And I love that the Lord is like, that's okay. I can, I can work with that, right? I can work with that. When you see the failures of the early saints, one of the things it should do for you is let you realize God can actually work with people like that. And he does. And you see that happening. The ones that he has a problem with are the ones pretending to be good. The hypocrites. Right. And the ones and who like won't, the one, right. let them, won't let him change them, do his work in them. Because right. Right, he's, gonna, he's talking about, let me, let me fit you for this cause. Right. 
Okay, next verses 45 and 46, we put to be a gatherer, to gather people, but the phrase in here is neat. It says, for behold, they shall push the people together from mm. the ends of the I love earth. That and so it much. just reminds us of that word from the parable to compel people to come. Like, okay, go get them and push them because people are going to say, like, oh, that's that's not for me or that's not. And he's like, no, go prod and, I love that and you're push. pushing and, them together. Yes, like, you're not, yes. not, you were not meant to bother anyone yeah <laughs> but you just love that they're like just push them to this togetherness like let them know they can come it's not just an invitation it's a compelling yeah and if you go our next one is in section 59 that verse one and the lord just says um blessed saith the lord are they who have come mm. is what he says in that very first verse and and that and that seems to be a that's an attribute of of zion that the lord's just saying like oh you're going to be so happy to come. Yes, because you're come. just going to be blessed here. Yeah. And taken care of and loved. Oh, you are going to be loved so well. And I think to myself, please let that be true of my my faith community. Yeah, well. Let us love people well. And then, but then it just can be true. You're in the faith community, right? Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And when you do that... Now your faith community does it better because you've decided to do it. And you love this too because some Sundays are not your best day. And yeah. sometimes you show up at things and it's not your best day, but hopefully it's someone else's. You know? <laughs> yeah. well, That's why we have a faith community. I've been thinking about this, this week because I was in Genesis again. Genesis 1 where the Lord's like to Adam and Eve, I want you to be my image bearers to the world. Like, like he said here, go be a kingdom of mm -hmm. priests and priestesses. Go represent me and... I feel like I've often gotten mad at the Lord sometimes and said, or I don't know how to phrase that, whatever, um, and said, why didn't you do anything about this? Why aren't you fixing this? And I can almost hear him say like, hey, Genesis <laughs> 1, page 1, you are my image bearer. Why so really, you? why aren't you doing anything about, you're supposed to represent me mm. to the world. Don't, I already set that up. Yeah. I sent you. And it's to hard. To do that. It is hard. Right. It is a hard work, but it's a good work. It is a good work. And he says that in five. He reminds them, remember the two great commandments. Love the Lord with all of your heart, might, mind, and strength. And then the next one in six, and love your neighbor. Um, and and then you go into verse seven, live in gratitude. Just mm -hmm. keep remembering that those times when God saved you and blessed you and rescued you. Keep coming back to that. Keep practicing the principle of gratitude um verse eight he says in this community you will sacrifice for each other um it is what it is it's what's the, it's the magic of zion right is to give your broken heart and your contrite spirit to give up for it says righteousness but remember righteousness means right relationship that you'll sacrifice for the relationships that are here um in nine he says um, to keep a holy day, mm -hmm. right? And we really love that phrase where he says, this is a day, the house of prayer, to offer up your sacraments. And prayer and sacraments are both, are two things that connect us to heaven. A sacrament is something that connects us to God. And a prayer obviously is a connection there. And he says, keep a day, a holy day, where you can reconnect with me again. Remember the story. Remember the perspective. Remember what I've done. And keep a holy day per week 
that you can remember and reconnect. And I love the thought of that because sometimes we are going to fail and sometimes we are going to be chastened and sometimes we're going to try and be in right relationship with people and it just isn't going to go well. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be hard days and hard things. And I've learned in my life that sometimes when I'm like, this is that this feels like it is not working out the way I want it to. And I don't, I don't feel like this is right. I don't feel like it's going right. And sometimes I just hear the spirit whisper, but are you right with God? And then I just kneel down and just say, okay, God, am I right with you right now? Is there something in me that needs to be refined or, or fixed or, changed up or something that would make this better and sometimes he says yes you know and he, and he points out clearly you actually could have been better at this and some days he just says to me you know what you are right with me right now and I see that's not working but and that might be a hard thing for you but but this is a safe place right now because we're you are right with me right yeah. now and there's so much comfort in that reconnecting weekly just to have that conversation. And it's interesting that he says, and, and the reason it'll help in verse nine, he says, it'll keep you unspotted from the world. And I like to think, because what's the messaging that the world is telling me about me? You know, mm. they're telling me how, how I'm wrong and unaccepted and not, you, you know, and it's just like, you got to reconnect with me so that you don't yeah. drink the Kool-Aid of the world, <laughs> you know, like yes. they're telling you they're, they're, crushing you they're yeah. ruining you right come find out what how valuable you are um and he says and come and tend and rest come rest you know and and take a chance to pay devotions to acknowledge god to worship him it'll be so good for your heart um verse 15 is such a great verse where he says and do these things with thanksgiving and with cheerful hearts and countenances I cross out the next line. He says, not with much laughter, because I don't like that line. Um, but he just but says... But we do remember there, the laughter that was happening in Missouri, like in the... in the um, Oh, the pubs. Like the loud you know, laughter yeah. places. He probably was like, don't, that's that's not the direction you're headed. Yeah. A different, that yeah. good laughter. Oh, I think God loves good laughter and as much as we I do. do too. And I want to say this. I love that idea of like, this is a place of cheerful hearts. We... I will say I will say this to the day I die, and then more. Mm -hmm. I'll come back as a spirit. But the word gospel means good news. Mm -hmm. It means good news. And if pe people in this community need to hear cheerfulness, and they need to hear good news and that's hope, so good. Like that's gospel. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't sound like good news, it probably was not gospel, <laughs> right? And then the last one we have on here is this verse twenty-three. Um, and it is the uh, the a promise of peace is what it is. And Just I love settled peace. When you take those last three where he wants to talk about here, this is this is what I'm building here. Like you think about that supper. Okay, let's just think about it. That supper and he set it up and the goblets were filled and he's standing at the table and he's waiting and people knock on the door and they're brought in and they sit down and you know what people are gonna find at that supper. Rest and cheerfulness. And that laughter that you're talking about, and mm -hmm. gladness and peace, that's the invitation. That's what we're creating. That is Zion. That. So how do we become better at that? And there might be times when we're frustrated, when we look at it and we think, how is this ever going to happen? And, right. and he lays out for us, this is what it's going to look like, everyone. He says, there's going to be a fullness of 
the earth and all of the good things. This is the, the promise box at the yeah, bottom. Where you just 16 says, through 20. Yeah. And a place that you're going to be gladdened and strengthened and enlivened, right? This is like, it's that. That's the promise. That's what you're coming into. And sometimes you think about that and, and I don't know, maybe you look at your family or maybe you look at your church community or maybe you look at your life. Self. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and you think, no, this actually looks like the edge of the United States right now. Like this looks like barren wilderness. I don't see any hope of promise here. And you're talking about this fullness in a place where I'm going to be gladdened and strengthened and enlightened. And I actually, I don't know if that is possible in my situation. And I love that the Lord actually addresses mm -hmm. that, that he's like, you might feel like that. Like you might see this and think this is too big. This is impossible. That isn't going to happen. And you love that in um, 58 verse 31, he wants to say um, that, Who am I, saith the Lord, that have promised and have not fulfilled? And I love the thought of that. That He laid out this promise. Remember at the very beginning when he was like, You hold this in your heart because yeah, tribulation is going to yep. come. And, and this might be hard, but I'm making you a promise, right? the feast of the fat things. I am promising you that. And sometimes I think we forget. We know he's a God who promises. We, we know. We, we see the promise. I love that President Nelson just said, could you gather those promises every time you were in scripture right now and write them down and make a list? Right? We've kind of spent the last six or seven months gathering these promises. But those promises are nothing if we don't believe in a God who can fulfill them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the important part. And I love, I just, as we end, want to take you to Romans 4, because it's such a good reminder. This is the story of Abraham and of Sarah. And you remember God gave that promise of impossibility. Um, Sarah was barren. Their life was barren. There was no hope. God said, I can promise all these things. And I think they might have looked at him and been like, yeah, you can promise all those things for other people. But I don't think it's going to work for me and for my situation. And I love this that um, we are taught in Romans 4. It's talking about Abraham. And it says, let me just remind you about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. I'm in Romans 4. I'm going to start in 18, and I'm actually just going to pull lines out when you go back and look. I'm going to remind you about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. And being not weak in faith, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. And then this is my favorite part, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. I love that so much that we've got 